Thank you, guys. You may be seated. Can we, can we just thank the worship team tonight? I mean, what an awesome way to start this year. What an awesome way to get into to young adults here. And I'm just so excited that you're here with us. And I'm really excited tonight uh, to welcome uh, my friend, Scott Poirier, to the stage. Pastor Scott, would you please join me up here? Do you guys remember Scott? Aren't, aren't young adults the best? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm just absolutely thrilled to have you here, Scott. I, I'm so, I mean, I don't know. I kind of feel weird saying this, but I'm super proud of you, man. Like the work you're doing in Winnipeg and just, just watching God like unlock things in your life. And uh, just such a testament to what happens when you submit your will to what God's doing, and I'm, I'm really excited for that. And I just want to start tonight by, by praying for Scott before he brings us the word. Can we do that together? Father, I want to pray for Scott tonight. I want to ask God that, that the words that he's prepared and the time that he's spent, God, would it be anointed in the name of Jesus? Would his words flow from his lips tonight, but would they not be his words but yours? God, would you empower him to say the things that need to be said? And would you remind him tonight, along with all of us, what you have planned and what you have for us in this coming year and in this time together. Father, we worship you and we bless your name and we thank you for Scott and we thank you for uh, him being here tonight. Amen. A what weird The sound guys wield so much power. Well, that was the world's weirdest beginning. <laughs> right on. Well, I'm really glad to be here tonight. Uh, like, genuinely just so, so excited to be here. Um, I'm, uh, I'm just back for a class, and Pastor Luke asked if I would come in and speak, and... Uh, it was just like a very automatic and quick, yes, of course I would. That would be an honor. For, for those of you who don't know me, I, uh, I attended here for the last like two or so years from 2017 to the end of July of this past, or 2019, I guess now. Welcome to 2020. And, uh, I, and then I finished that off by interning for Pastor Luke from uh, March until the end of July. And that was a great time. Um, if this is your first time here, or if you are we could still consider yourself new. I think you've made a great decision in coming here and being a part of what's going on here. Um, and I can assure you that it might take time to find people to connect with. This is a big group, but it's worth it. So if you've been here once or twice or three times, um, stick with it because it's, 
there's something really special about this place, I think. I really believe that. And for those of you who do know me, um, I have a beard now, so if you bring that up, I get uncomfortable. So that's I'm just getting it out of the way now. Let's let's get that get that dealt with. <laughs> um, I haven't figured out what to say when people point it out. So, uh, and I I um, moved back to Winnipeg, and I am working at a church there, which has kind of just been like this dream opportunity for me. It's uh, it's not a very large church, but there's a lot of vision there, and I was brought on in like a planting role, so I'm actually starting a Saturday night service that we're trying to treat very much like its own thing, like its own church plant. And there's so much I would love to share, but I'm, I'm, on, I'm, I'm releasing all of that news to my church uh, this Sunday. So I have to tell them first. But if you want to know, follow me on Instagram or whatever, and uh, I will be posting on there about what's happening. Um, and I think that we're at the beginning of something really cool that's happening in the church in Canada. I think that there's a, a renewed sense of hunger for lost people to come to know Jesus that's kind of stirring across the country. And I think that this is a really exciting time for the church in Canada. Um, yeah, so I'm excited. I'm excited to be part of it and uh, excited to be speaking to you all tonight and to be kicking off this series, Digital Exile. But before we get into that, I'm going to ask if we could just do something like a little bit weird, a little out of the ordinary. I don't have like a cool, fun story to seem relatable to start off. That was when my mic didn't work. That was the like, oh, he's a normal person who <laughs> is terrible with technology, apparently. Um, I'm actually just going to ask if we could just spend 30 minutes, or, sorry, 30 seconds. <laughs> oh. If we could just spend like 30 seconds, um, just in silence. And that might feel a little weird, but I'm going to ask that we do that. And in that time, just I want you to reflect on what it says in Psalm 46, verse 10, where God says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. So don't talk to your neighbor. Don't, don't check your phone. And actually, if we could even get these screens blacked out, that would be... That'd be cool. Um, I'll just get, get distraction out of the way and just focus in on God for, for 30 seconds. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll let you know when we're, when we're done. So if we could just do that together right now. Thank you. That was about 35 seconds, so well done. That's that pretty cool. Um, but I'm going to talk a little bit about why I wanted to do that a little bit later, um, and I hope that that makes sense. But I was brought to start off this series on digital exile, which is based on a book called Faith in Exile by a guy named David Kinneman and Mark Matlock. And David Kinneman is one of the head researchers at the Barna Group in the United States. So they do tons of research and polls and surveys and statistics 
about the church and culture and religion in North America. So if you've ever seen a stat on the church in the U.S. or in Canada, it was probably produced by the Barna Group. They do phenomenal work. And this book, Faith in Exile, was produced as kind of the culmination of like 10 years of research trying to answer the question, why are young people leaving the church? And what can we do about it? So they, they put it all together in this book and they came to a few conclusions. Um, and I'm just going to be introducing that tonight. And then over the next few months, you guys are going to be looking at the five practices that they kind of laid out as an antidote to that, to that issue. So the, the issue that they found was that of millennials and Generation Z, so that's millennials would be like 25 to like 40, actually. They turned 40 this year, which is crazy. They're not as young as most people generally think. Um, and then Gen Z, which would be 24-ish to, I don't know, I don't think we have a like end date for them yet. Um, it's young people, though. So depending on who you ask, that's about the age ranges. And they found that in those generations, that those who grew up in church left the church at a rate of about 64%. Two-thirds of those people who grew up in church would leave it, and they would give up their faith, which is a problematic number. So they wanted to find out how we can combat that and how we can actually have a faith that is resilient to the world, and that actually stands up in the face of what young people are coming up against. So they, they came up with this term, digital Babylon. And that's, that's where they say that we're living in today. This is our, our cultural moment. So it's an accelerated, complex culture that is marked by phenomenal access, profound alienation, and a crisis of authority. It's digital Babylon. And we're going to unpack that a little bit, because I think it's really important that we understand that as this series moves forward, and we understand the moment that we're actually addressing. Because if you have a cure, but you don't know how to apply it, it's useless. So we're going to just unpack what this is a little bit. So Babylon is probably the word in that that would trip you up the most. And this is a depiction of the Babylonian Empire. It, uh, it was a superpower at one point in, in human history. And if you remember back to our Daniel series in the winter of 2019, this is where Daniel and his friends were taken, to the Babylonian Empire. And, but the interesting thing is that we actually see Babylon all throughout the Bible. So you can actually go back all the way to Genesis chapter 11, where they're building the Tower of Babel. And in that story, you find this group of people who have come together and say, hey, we can build tall things. Let's build a tower that will reach to the heavens, and then we will be at the same level as God. And so they get together, and they start building this tower, and God sees what's happening, and he, he puts a stop to it because he knows that, well, first off, they can't reach the heavens. It's a ridiculous goal to have, that they shouldn't reach it, and that they never will. Because he knows that as an almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God, 
who has created humans that they can never be at the same level that he is at. It just doesn't make sense. We are who we are, and God is who God is. And so he puts a stop to it, and he scrambles their language so that they no longer are able to work on this project. And this is kind of the first unified effort that we see in the Bible of people who are trying to get on the same level as God. And so the Tower of Babel leads to Babylon. I noticed that by myself. And I was pretty proud of it. I don't know if it's an actual connection, but I thought it was cool, so threw it out there for you. <laughs> and, and Babylon, they're really, they work as this archetype, this model throughout the Bible of a people who are opposed to God and who think that they are so powerful and their culture is so great and they're so smart that they don't even really need God. So we can see this in the Tower of Babel, then in the Assyrians, and then in Babylon and Persia and the Roman Empire, and it's even prophesied about in the book of Revelation right at the end of the Bible. It's this, this archetype throughout human history of a godless people. And this version of Babylon that we, we see here was a leader in art, in education, entertainment. They were a progressive lawmaking society. And physically, it was quite impressive as well. These, these walls that bordered it were massive. They actually would have chariot races on top of the walls. And within the wall's limits, they figured that it was about 200 square miles, which is the same size as the city of Chicago is today. This enormously impressive empire that had been built here on Earth. And what it stood for was a godless society and people who were opposed to the God of the Bible. And it's a digital Babylon, though, so how does that translate to where we are today? So this goes back to, I would say again, to the Tower of Babel. You have people who say, oh, we can make bricks, or whatever it was that they were using. We have technology, now we can build more impressive structures, so let's build a tower, and let's utilize that to get on the same level with God. And then God says, in Exodus, and I think this is really important, that he says in the Ten Commandments, do not worship idols. Because he knows that there's something in the human spirit that wants to make the unknown into a form that they can hold and they can see and touch and, and that they can understand. But we can never reduce God to a form that we can hold and touch and understand. He's so much greater than that. But then we see that progress throughout history, and we, we put language into a physical box where it used to just be an oral tradition, and people used to talk to each other. They create alphabets, and they're all of a sudden writing and passing messages along. They put mathematics into a language that can be seen and understood. Music. I think a really interesting one is time. Do you realize that the concept of being on time has only been around for a few hundred years? Like for hundreds of years, you couldn't say young adult starts at 7.45, and that was a universally understood time, and you could be late for it. It was the end of the day, or like the, the fourth watch. There was no concept of being exactly on time. 
And as we went, we can see how the progression of all these tools came together and how it's rapidly increased. So if we could actually go to the next slide. This is a really fancy chart that I made on Excel. But you can see that for a long time, technology developed really slowly. And so they, they get language and they get alphabets. And they have hundreds of years to figure that out. And there's hundreds of years to, to grasp that and to like build a theology around it. And then you understand the concept of time and the printing press and all of these things until very, very recently where we enter into the information age. And now we are off the charts at the pace of which technology develops. We now, every week, we are told that what we had last week was out of date. There's a new update. There is a new technology that's going to make your life better. It's going to make your life faster, more productive, happier. And we just can't keep up. We can't take all of this in and say, okay, this is good, this is not, because it's just happening to us. There's no way that we could have kept up at this pace. There's no way we can keep up. And so this digital Babylon, is a, it's a godless society that is marked by acceleration, complexity, alienation, access, and a crisis of authority. So th that, those terms, the phenomenal access, the profound alienation, and the criticism of, of authority. We see that in a bunch of ways in, in culture. So first off, this, this phenomenal access. In this, in this device, I can find any information I want. Well, not any information, but pretty close. It feels like it. It happens probably at least once a week that I'm in conversation with somebody and I just say, you know what, I'm going to do a quick fact check on that. Because I don't know if what I'm actually saying is true. Let me find out. And I do, in just a few seconds. Profound alienation. I also have this, and I am more connected than ever. This is my 10th year of having a cell phone, which is crazy to me. And in that time, and as this has gotten better and better and kept me more and more connected, and given more ways that I can be contacted, because you can Facebook me, you can text me, you can slip into my Instagram DMs, you can Snapchat me, you can, you can email me, you can do all these things. But we often mistake connectivity for community. And so I may be accessible and you might be able to get in contact with me, but that doesn't mean you know me. And as you look, if you took all of the living people and looked at them decade by decade, you, you would find that as they get more connected and as they get younger, they get more and more lonely, at least in North America. I've had a cell phone for about 10 years, but I can't remember ever feeling lonely as frequently as I did in the last one or two years. I can be reached and you can connect with me, but you don't necessarily know me and I don't necessarily feel known. And that's a crisis that's happening across our young people. And then this 
this crisis of authority. I think it used to be that you might see a scandal or two in your life because your community was local. It was the people you knew. So maybe the leader of that community gets caught in something that they shouldn't, and it's a scandal, and everybody in the town knows about it. But that might happen a couple times in your lifetime. Now it seems like it happens every week where some prominent figure that we used to trust and we used to believe in or in an institution that we believed in or a company, they have some kind of moral failure. We find out they lied to us. We find out that there's a whole bunch of dirty deeds going on behind the scenes that we didn't even know about. And it has led us to not trusting the authority that we should. So in this digital Babylon, we have a very fast, very complex world. Which puts us in a tough spot as Christians, quite honestly. Because that's not the lifestyle that we're called to. We're not, we're not trying to live lives that are fast and complex. That's not the model that Jesus put out for us. So there's this profound tension in the life of a Christian here in the Western world, here in North America, where the world is throwing so much at us, they're throwing so much content at us. Every, every week, there's new albums that we're behind on. There's new Netflix shows that we're behind on. There is, there's just this abundance of, of expectation that we're going to keep up. And we can't, and it overwhelms us, and it makes us feel lonely. And it makes us feel like we're not known by anybody. So how do, we, how do we live in that world? And how do we follow Jesus well in that world that asks so much of us and gives so little back to us, so little of substance back to us? And that's partially why I wanted us just to take a moment of silence as we started. Because there's probably not a lot of silence in your life, if you're totally honest. If there's a down moment, you pull out your phone and you check it to see what's going on. And God asks us, be still. Know that I am God. That I am with you. So, we're also going to look at the Bible. At 1 Peter verse 1, Sorry, chapter 1, verse 13 to 16. If you have your Bible, you can follow along. If you have a device, you may as well redeem some of your time on it and pull out your Bible app and follow along. And this is the NLT translation. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. So the Bible actually asks a fair bit of us. And Peter's pretty honest here. And he says, okay, you've come to know Jesus. Now you've got some work to do. You have to be holy. Don't slip back into those old patterns that you were stuck in before you came to know Jesus. There is freedom in your new life. So work really hard at it. And this is possibly my favorite 
piece of research that I've ever come across. So that the first phrase in that verse, can we, can we go back to the verse? Because I, I just need to see it. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. And then you can skip forward. So this is, I love this diagram. But what that phrase actually translates to is gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. So this is how to gird up your loins. So in those days, people would wear these robes that were um, to their feet, basically. And it wouldn't allow you to do heavy labor or to fight in a battle. So you had to gird up your loins. So you, you collect them, and you bring them up, and then you pull them forward, and you, you tuck them through <laughs> like a diaper, and then you pull it around, and you tie it in a knot, and then you get out there and go to battle. Go forth, be ye men, and gird up your loins. <laughs> and that's what, that's what Peter's asked us to do. That's the image that he was trying to create in these readers' minds. Gird up the loins of your mind. What he's saying is get to work. In our modern day equivalents, like hike your pants up, tuck your shirt in, roll your sleeves up, because you have work to do. There is a task at hand. And what you'll notice in this imagery is that it's for hard labor and to run. And if you're doing hard labor and you have loose clothing, it can not only like hinder the work that you're trying to do, but it, actually, it can actually be a danger to you depending on what it is you're trying to do. So you need to get that out of the way, and you need to get that taken care of. Or if you're running a race, I think Lenny Williams, if he's here, oh, he is here, I talked to him, that was a silly thing to say. But he would, I think, agree that you gotta be aerodynamic when you're running a race. You got that skin-tight clothing has to be on. Spandex, absolutely. <laughs> so that's why I'm not a sprinter. Um, but, but you don't want anything holding you back. You don't want anything slowing you down. And these are images that we can very easily apply to our, our Christian walk. There is work to be done. Get those things in your life that are actually going to hinder your walk and hinder your work and actually put you in danger. Get that out of the way. There's a race to be run. Run it well. Get that baggy clothing out of the way. Whatever's holding you down, get it out of the way. And do it well. And Peter's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. Tuck your shirt in. Get to work. There's, some, there's work to be done here. Because following Jesus requires a level of change in our lives. And this passage actually it alludes to the book of Leviticus over and over again. Um, and in the book of Leviticus, kind of the main, one of the main premises of it is that God has great promises for this nation that he's chosen. So it's going, it's addressed to the book, to the nation of Israel. And it's all these laws. So if you are trying to read through the Bible in 2020, great, love it. But Leviticus is usually where people get stuck when they're trying to do that, because then it's just rules and laws, and it's like weird. It's out there. It's kind of boring at times. But God is saying, I have promises for you. And what he was promising them was so 
great. He was saying, you will be a prosperous people. Your crops will yield. Your livestock will be healthy. Your families will be healthy. You will be a thorn in the side of your enemies because they won't be able to conquer you. You will be my people and I will be your God and I will take care of you. But first, they had to be holy. And in the first five books of the law, there were 613 laws that were laid out for the Jewish people, for the Israelites. And they had to follow every one of those in order to receive the promises of God. And if they didn't, it required actual sacrifice that they sacrifice one of their livestock in order to please God. And it was really tough. They had to have holiness before they could receive promises. They needed to be pure before they could receive the promises of God. But thankfully, that's not the world we live in anymore. So if we go to the next verse, this is just a little bit down. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 to 20. It says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was paid with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. So the difference between what the Israelites had to deal with and what we have to deal with is that they had to be holy before they could receive God's promises. And we just have to say yes before we enter into God's promises. But the promises that God is making to us today have changed. They're different now. Because it's no longer that this life will be really easy, but it's that there is a hope beyond this life where you're going to find eternity spent in paradise with the God of all creation. And you're going to live a life here that is abundant of joy and peace and love. And even when it's difficult here, and it will be difficult, I love that we were singing Another in the Fire earlier today. I don't know if that was picked intentionally because like, it alludes to Babylon, but if it wasn't, then I don't know. Um, but <laughs> I love that, though, because what that, what that song is talking about is this encounter in Daniel 3 that D Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have with the Babylonians. And they have just stood up to the king of Babylon, and they have said, no, we will serve our God, and they are thrown into the fire. And if you actually look at extra texts around that passage, you can find that they were singing and rejoicing in the middle of that fire as God saved them. So they were certainly facing trials and persecution in this life, but their response was only to bring praise and glory and honor to God. And I think that is an amazing example for us and a very high calling for us. But it's worth it because we have the promise and the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. So, if you are here and you are a believer, know that there is work to be done. And for the next few months, you're going to be going through five practices that 
are going to help you to have a resilient faith that actually stands up in the face of this digital Babylon. And you're going to be able to talk that through in community and to be able to grow in your discipleship with Jesus, in your journey of following Jesus. And just know that you have hope. That's, that's that next verse in that passage in Peter. That you can actually put your hope, all of your hope, it says, in your gracious Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. And the, the really cool thing about putting hope in him is that you're not putting hope in something to come, but you're putting hope in something that was actually already done. And that's the life of Jesus, that he actually descended from heaven and lived here on earth, and he died for your sins, and he was raised to life on his own power to actually wipe away your sins. And all you have to do is say yes to that. And that work has already been done, and you get to enter into this life with God, this life abundant and have hope in him. Every great story, I think, is founded at some level on this idea of hope. I was just talking about Star Wars with somebody, and the first episode in Star Wars is A New Hope, and it creates this whole saga of nine films. Some are horrible, some are great. I don't want to get into that. I don't care enough about (laughs) Star Wars. Or Lord of the Rings, there's this hope that when they make it to Mordor, that they'll be able to defeat this ring. Cinderella, there's hope that when she goes to the ball, that she'll meet the prince. Hallmark movies, there's hope that at the end of the movie, that they'll have that final kiss. But it's actually a guarantee in that situation. So (laughs) you don't even need to hope. You just sit back and try to relax. But every great story must have hope. Every great story has to have an element of hope that one day there's going to be a victory. There's going to be that, that moment where everything is made right again. And our hope is in something that's already been done. Jesus has already died. He has already resurrected. And he is coming again. And in that, we put our hope. So if you're here and you're a believer, hold on to that and get ready to get to work because these next few months are going to be, I think, so life-giving and going to bear so much fruit in this community as you all walk together to, to learn about these practices. And if you are here and you're not a believer, if you have not um, if this, this idea of Jesus is new to you and this, this idea of a Christian life is new to you, can I just ask that, or can I just say that this is a chance for a fresh start in your life? Whatever it is that's holding you down, whatever it is that is, is weighing on you, whatever it is you're struggling with, it's already been dealt with. And all you need to do is say yes to a God who loves you and to a God who would lay down his life for you so that you may have eternal life with him. And it is good. So I'm going to pray. And if you have never 
accepted Jesus into your life. I'm just going to pray a prayer, and would you pray along with me? Or maybe you're part of that 64%, and you were raised in church, but at some point you just became disenfranchised with it, and you, you left, and you're here again tonight. I would say feel free to pray along. Um, but I'm just going to pray, and if that's a decision that you would like to make tonight, I encourage you, just pray along with me. And uh, yeah. So God, this life is difficult. And in this life, we have faced a lot of challenges. And it's been difficult to get to this point. But Lord, tonight I just want to lay my life down before you and I want to know you, Jesus. And I want to be able to, to walk in those promises that you've given me and those promises of eternal life. And Jesus, I, I want to see those promises come to fruition in my life. So Lord, would you come into my life? I want to serve you, and I want to love you, and I want... I want to live my life for you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, if you just prayed that prayer, I can promise you that is the best decision you've ever made. But I also need you to do something. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time or just re-prayed it for the first time in a long time, would you tell somebody? If you came here with somebody, tell your friend. If I'm the only person you recognize here, tell me and I'll make sure to tell someone else who who's going to be here next week. Tell Pastor Luke. Because part of walking with Jesus is the fact that it's not always easy. But we are spurred on by communities like this of people who know us and who love us and are willing and able to walk with us and encourage us to continue going. And if you are here and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, I just pray that these next few months are so transformative for you. And I encourage you, get ready to gird up your loins, to get to work. Because it may be difficult, but it is worth it. So I'm going to pray for all of us, and then we can go. Um, but God, we thank you for your word and for the promises that you give us. And we thank you that this is not all that this life has to offer, that, that the life that we create for ourselves is not all that is available to us, Lord, that there is a life of joy and of peace and of, of love that is available through you and through your son, Jesus. So Lord, I pray for this community, Lord, I just pray that you would bless them in these coming days, Lord, that, um, that there would be such great fruit here and that you would bring so much life to this community, and that through the city of Saskatoon and the province of Saskatchewan, that they would be known as people who love and who want to serve you and who are making a difference in their community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.